Welcome back, Grifters, to the second half of the Leverage 10 podcast, the Voices of Leverage episode. I'm your host, Kayla Dobson, and I'm joined by executive producer and co-creator of Leverage, Chris Downey, co-producer Jeff Thorne, executive story editor Josh Shear, story editor Becky Kirsch, and story editor Jeremy Bernstein. Let's jump back in. Is it difficult to develop uh, the voices for the recurring guest stars like Hurley or Sterling and when much of their arcs occur off screen? Um, I would say I would say it's incredibly hard, if not outright impossible, to do that when they're not in your episode. Yes. <laughs> um, Which is, I mean... Well, it's interesting because in a weird way, I would say, for at least for me, it's kind of easier because it's much easier to spot check. Uh, when you see Sterling and he comes in, we know how to write Sterling. Mm-hmm. We know the kind of responses Sterling's going to have because he's got such a limited, focused participation in whatever he participates in. Um, if if he had to be there every week, constantly every week, yeah. then you'd start to see nuances and things that you would never picture Sterling Sterling doing. So when the recurring characters come in, you're getting a familiar friend. You're getting a taste of ice cream that you really like, but there's no sprinkles. You know? Right. And, and uh, but also it's it's a challenge too with Sterling. You know we've seen the the hard ass focus Sterling, and mm-hmm. I think we tried last year when we did uh, the Queen's Gambit job to find something about him that we didn't know. You That's know, right. I mean, and once once someone's been on the show a couple of times and they've got a specific role, you want to find some other side of them. If you're bringing them back for a third or Girls fourth night time out with with uh, with Tara. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Girls yeah. Night Out. You know, you learn a little bit more about Tara and her. You know, struggle to find uh, you know uh, a boyfriend, and despite being stunningly, stunningly beautiful gorgeous. and and able, and able to tango. High class problem. Yeah, high class problem. But problems. yeah, so I you know I think that, that's something we always try and do. And I want to take this time to remind our grifters that they can revisit all of these characters by downloading their favorite episodes off of iTunes. Woo! <laughs> I know. I give the give the sponsors a plug. Exactly. <laughs> There's our plug. Uh, and kind of moving on, following up on more characters outside of our main cast, how do you keep each of the villains' voices sounding different from week to week when they're all such horrible people? Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> the real world think, helps with I mean, that. Writing, yeah, ri- writing the villains is a really fun challenge, in part because they're disposable characters. Exactly. You can you can give them such a strong one-off attitude because you don't need to live with them, you know, week after week. It's I mean, it's and it's often. I've got three scenes. You know, I've got three scenes here to establish this person as contemptible, so that you want to punch them in the neck and you cheer when someone punches them in the neck. Um, and what's a way of making you hate someone that we haven't seen yet? Right. You know, so it because you've got so little time with the villain. Usually, it 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 in many ways it forces you to focus more on how do I get the most bang for my buck every line they say has to have three or four functions right. in this script mm-hmm. but, but also what you know I think the best villains in the show are villains that don't that believe they're the hero yep. yeah. you know we've talked about that so and I, and I think we've mentioned on other podcasts we always like to have what we call the evil speech of evil uh, for our for our villain that, yes which is when the when the villain you know is, is espouses their point of view uh, and it should seem reasonable right um, and at least it's reasonable to them um, and I think that gives them some depth you know otherwise they they become uh, you know two-dimensional and, <laughs> and we, we always try and avoid them being what, what I like to call inexplicably baroque <laughs> yes <laughs> before I kill you mr. Ford yeah. 
<laughs> pitiless whelp. Yes. <laughs> Anyone like who talks like a way that no human being talks mm. is uh, is definitely a no-no. When we do research, too, like a lot of our villains obviously are people that are cut from real Real but world not things. really real. But what Real-ish we in the real-ish. most vague and but you'll find non-actionable <laughs> sense. That's right. In, in Chris, no way. This is a lawyer. Yes. <laughs> By real, we mean unreal. <laughs> fictional. In an entirely fictional way, uh, that the people that that we call these people from, that we distill them from, often say things that if we were to write the actual things you'd go that guy sounds like a bond villain you know yeah. but they're saying that in real life we actually yeah, often soften the villains from their real life counterparts so wow. it's, i don't think it's that difficult to find more villains they make themselves every yeah. day well, yeah. well on that topic actually if we have because each episode has the dis- slightly disposable villain of you know, you're, you're probably not going to see this guy again. It's someone who you, you you really do have that larger than life performance in that one episode, but we will not live with them further. You, if we have 15 episodes in a season, you're going to have 15 different villains, and you could, if you wanted to, make them all look very alike. You know, yeah. sometimes we have you know rich white men in suits, and that's because of that. I think that all of us have um, the the um, the challenge and the responsibility, and also a great deal of fun with trying to distinguish them. Just as Jeremy was saying in small enough ways that make them um, uh, very memorable, very unique, and very um, uh, distinguishable, you know, from, you know, d- don't make them like the other one. There's there's so many different tweaks that we can do in ways that you wouldn't expect to make that character so memorable, I think. Rich White Men in Suits, incidentally, is the name of my band. <laughs> <laughs> and where, where are you going to be playing this weekend? We're going to be playing at the Ice <laughs> House. Yourself, We're going to be at the Ice House in, uh, in Burbank <laughs> this evening, this weekend. <laughs> But, you know, I also think, um, uh, not to be the buzzkill, you're always supposed to take the room bit and go farther. I'm, and I'm, I'm just, you know, they always say yes and. I'm like, no, but. Yeah. You know? But anyway. Um, no, no, no. I, I find that, you know, we, t- we talk ad nauseum about, the, uh, about the, the villains in the room, but it, until you get there by yourself in front of the screen yeah, and you're 30 pages into your script, that's when you realize what the voice of your villain is. That's right. where you, you take what everybody has said and what everybody's talked about and you've gone through two pages, you've gone through outline, and you still don't really know who this person is until you get right smack in the middle and you realize, now I've got it. And, and you go back and you change the first few scenes of your, your episode, yeah. but it's worth it because that's where you get that, that uniqueness that Becky was talking about and, and that specificity of voice that, um, that distinguishes the villain. Uh, how have the actors themselves shaped each of the characters' voices? Uh, I mean, they all have. Um, uh, you know, uh, in in really every way. And I think uh, the 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 way that they've all shaped them, I think, is in the is in the comedy. Um, I think going into this show, you know, John and I knew that there would be a lot of humor in it, but we had no idea just how gifted all of the actors in the show were at comedy and especially at some of the improv that they do yeah. and I have to really give a, a shout out to them and <clears throat> there are so many of the most laugh out loud moments of the show uh, in in the history of the run that were little improvs that the actors did in character that we never would have thought of we gave them the scene we gave them the intention of the scene and they just kind of like riffed on it at the end and that is really something that we never would have anticipated from from them um, just going into it. I mean, you know, you know, Christian is a per- perfect example as someone who, you know, from his work on Angel and some of the you know movies he's done, I don't think you would know just how you know gifted a comedic actor he was. And you know, the same is true for all of them. And know? he and he and Alda, almost any scene that's the two of them bantering 
Like, they'll do what you wrote, and then they'll keep going yeah. for a while. Yeah. Uh, as More or less as long as the director will let them, yeah, I exactly. think. And it's... Yeah. And they all do that. I mean, they all have their own, within their own character voices, they all riff and do looks and things. I know Gina does stuff that is... You know, you're like twinkle, 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 twinkle. That I did not write. That you, did, you know, and it's it's great. It's <laughs> great. Let them roll. The, the exciting part, being a writer and turning it over to the actors like that, is like things come out that you know it's that you didn't intend, you didn't think of, but are are a direct outgrowth of what you've done. Watching someone take what you wrote and then make it better, right, is I mean, just one of the most rewarding experiences. But the goal of turning a script over to the, the stage is to beat what's on the page. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that is, that's what it is. And they do that every week. Well, in this next question, Jeremy kind of touched on it earlier, and I'd like to explore it a little bit more. Uh, when writing, do you hear the dialogue play out in your head as it would on screen? And is there a point when you stop writing for the character and start writing for the actor? I'm sure that I'm not the only writer who sits in my apartment and reads out the dialogue. <laughs> Yeah. And in, in in most embarrassing ways to the point where my neighbors would most likely just call the police on me. But I, I, I do sit there and I, I, I act out every actually, scene. It's something that you could say out loud. Right. Absolutely. I, yeah. for, for me, speaking it out, that's always a later step for me. You know, like for me, I've just got the conversation going in my head. And like I said, I feel like I'm dictating. Um, then when I'm going back and editing, I'll start reading it aloud and discover and God bless them. I put I put the words I put the phrase tarmac access in a script last year and it's like on the page it's totally innocuous and then you try to say it and it's just a horrible thing to do to another human being and they did it i offered to change it They're like no we'll get it yeah i know it was so many ways around it and i just like but it seemed fine it seemed fine tarmac accent. tarmac is it's a tarmac has a lot of k's in it it's a funny word yeah it's funny That's but it's tarmac accent yeah. is funny no they nailed it and that episode was a laugh riot <laughs> that's what we were going for you know to cross my heart job it's like get that heart to the little boy tarmac access <laughs> rim shot i had a wor- i had a worse tongue twister in in my script this year which i caught in advance and changed because that was but it's it's to me it's more about you know as it's as it's first coming out is just you've got your outline and you know what it needs to do especially when you're doing your first draft that's where you have that freedom to explore and just see where it goes um, you know, I, I've often you get scenes that are outlined. Here's exactly what happens in this scene, and then it just isn't because, mm-hmm. you know, it wants to go left instead of right. I think too that um, the this is a collaborative job, and I think some people get awfully rigid about it. And I, now that so much has been made of having been on both sides of this particular job, <laughs> thank you. Uh, Jeff Thorne was an actor. Uh, <laughs> 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 Hashtag Jeff Thorne. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> you guys <laughs> suck. But the the point is that some writers are very rigid. Like I'm right here. They, stop it. <laughs> we all love you. We've had this discussion, and they want only what they want, and they only they can only see it the one way it is in their head, and they become really frustrated when actors do what actors do, and I. I won't say which actor it was, but I have written things for, uh, well, actually, it's all of them at some point, so they'll need to differentiate. All of you. Um, I've written things that went a particular way in my head, and then they've done something that not only isn't what was in my head, but I could not have, like, why would you do that? But it works, and you kind of have to go, they're in their place of power. They're, They're feeling it. They're living it. So as long as it isn't something so crazy outside, you know, 
why are you speaking in a Roman accent now? If they do something like that, then you rein them back in. But I feel like as long as it's within, as long as it's within these fairly broad lines, it's not my job to tell them exactly how to do it in my as it was in my head as long as it comes out right. And that's the magic, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, when you is. go out there and it's not the way you've heard it in your head and it's great. And you're like, wow. It's like, that's, that's when you, that's the difference between this and novel writing. Yes, the novel right. writing, that's exactly a, it. Writing a novel, everyone reading it is going to read the, read the line in their, in their own head. I mean, here it's, it's a collaborative medium and we're bringing this out to people on a stage and they're going to bring something to it and the, the wardrobe person's going to bring something that's going to make the scene different right. and the setting is going to make be different than that's, what you thought it was. That's the part I love is, is because it's so collaborative on so many levels, it's a constant string of, of you know, surprises. Seeing the set for the first time, right, and you're blown away by that and then you see the, you know, some particular prop you described and that blows you away and then the, the you know, the performance or whatever. Like, there's so many different ways to be you know, to be surprised and watch that happen, that it's all, it almost, when you're on set, it just feels like it's a never-ending stream of that. My feeling is, that I, I really feel lucky that I'm not Becky, because I would be horribly disappointed so at the so lack, at the lack of corsetry in every episode. <laughs> you you know? also wear a boa better than she does. Well, you know, it's all Thank about... Thank you for using the word corsetry. It's, <laughs> it's all about flair. So it's fine. It's good. I didn't say you look bad. The green, the green doesn't go with my eyes. Look at him. You can't tell me he doesn't look a little bad. It's a golden brown. It's a really, it's a golden brown we're going for. We're learning so much about our writers in this <laughs> yeah. podcast. I wanted to know any of <laughs> Well, to wrap up for this, uh, for this episode, we have a final question. Uh, what are some differences you've noticed between writing for these characters as compared to other characters you may have written for in the past? Longer? Uh, these characters <laughs> care about other human beings. <laughs> well, well, also, oh the world God. has not been ravaged by, 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 nuclear, by nuclear, nuclear, nuclear winter. Right, of course. There's that. Uh, that. Um, yeah, these that characters. Kind of yeah. A literal cloud over knowing, your knowing last that project. death is, is <laughs> inevitable and yet and moments away does 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 really change a character's perspective. No, these characters have a, have a um, a group morality that I really yeah. enjoy. Whereas you know, I mean, in the past you've written for heroes and villains and uh, protagonists and antagonists, but these five sort of they keep each other walking the, the straight line and and you know their their morality is deeply seated and it comes out in fun and interesting and unexpected ways and. That's something that I find very different about this show than any any I've written before. Um, but I've written uh, cops and cartoons, so this kind of this is the culmination of my resume writing this show. It's cops and cartoons. Well, they, ben, these ben characters ben, these ben characters ben don't turn into yeah they yes. don't turn into they don't turn into <laughs> alien aliens monsters from a, from a magic watch. That's right. They don't they don't hit a watch and turn into magical creatures. <laughs> That's and, season nine. And they don't hunt serial killers. So you know. I find, I mean, I think that because there's so much plot in a leverage episode that more than a lot of other things um, you need, character has to happen, those character moments, the emotional moments have to happen during the action while something else is going on. You don't, maybe if you're lucky in an episode, you get one slow scene where you can just have a character moment, but otherwise everything else has to be layered on top, and it's, it's a, just a great lesson in... Um, uh, cramming as much as you can in, making sure that you know, you know, you write the action, you get the plot written down, and then you want to go in and sprinkle the character on top of it, um, which I think is is a very good lesson to take away from this show for other shows is is make everything count as much as you can. Mm -hmm. Don't listen to him. We want you all to fail and have us win. 
Don't listen to what Jeremy says. Wow. All you other shows must fail, wow. and leverage must rule. That's what we should do. I'm telling the truth, Josh. Josh. Don't stop me. Josh, your no butt title has been taken away. <laughs> it really has. It really has. Yes, Give that, and that me trophy. No butt. Yeah, the trophy goes to Jeff now. <laughs> well, I think that's it for another episode of the Leverage Ten Podcast. But before we go, can I entice anyone into giving us their best Nate, Sophie, Parker Hardison voice? Huh? Elliot, anyone? Anyone? Let's go steal a podcast. Yeah, yeah. there we go. How about that? Yeah. Thanks for all of you guys for listening in, and we'll see you next time. And don't forget, you can always get your leverage fixed by downloading all your favorite episodes on iTunes. Thanks again, Grifters.